0: you may be new here or you've been gone part of the summer, I want to kind of bring you current with kind of the summer series that we're we're working with here just to kind of encourage you as you open the scriptures or take your device and, and go where we're going uh, today. First of all, I appreciate Alan sharing last week. Alan is an incredible communicator and, and uh, just uh, always appreciate when he, he shares with you. I know it's going to be good and meaty and, and uh, something for you to chew on. Uh, but we've been walking through John, who was one of Jesus's Apostles he wrote a letter called First John, and we are walking through that and we 're calling it the real deal and uh, we' we're, today we 're going to catch up with that a little bit and uh, and I want to kind of uh, see if i can 't whet your appetite a little bit because what one of the things about john i, I see I, I read it and I study it, and i 'm thinking, man, this is as current as as the newspaper that we pick up or the news we 're going to watch or or cNN or Fox or whatever you 're going to watch i 'm thinking this is as current. As that, when you look at the depth of what John was sharing, it's, it's eternal in, in, uh, in its scope. But uh, let me give you a couple of word pictures just as we step into this today. Because part of what was happening is, is they had false teachers that were coming in. And uh, these false teachers were leading people astray because uh, they, they're thinking, is this truth, is it not truth? And so they, uh, they were leading people astray. And, and John is writing to give them certain assessments to say, hey, this is what the real deal is going to look like. And uh, I thought about something this morning. I thought about a story. I've probably shared it with you before. But back during World War II, there was a, a conflict taking place. And and uh, one of our soldiers was under heavy fire. And he dove into a foxhole. And as he's in that foxhole, man, the the, the artillery is going over him. And he's digging as low as he can to get as low as he can. And as he's digging, all of a sudden, he comes up upon a, a cross necklace that a previous soldier in there had lost. And, and he picks it up. And he's holding that cross, and about that time another guy rolls into the foxhole with him. And and he, he turns that guy and he says, Man, are you a Christian? And he said, Yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, Can you tell me how this thing works? And I think the reason I think about that is that I think people today are looking at us as followers of Jesus and saying, Can you tell me how this thing works? Because we've seen things happen, people are going through struggles. They're battling addictions. They're battling depression. They're battling all kinds of broken relationship stuff. They're battling all this kind of stuff, and they're looking to us as followers of Jesus and said, "Can you tell me how this following Jesus thing really does work?" And we have to have a answer, and we have to be displaying that answer is what we need to be doing. So think about that first of all. But the second thing I want to I want to mention to you, and this illustration isn't new, but it's been used many times, is that how does a bank teller know genuine money from counterfeit money and um, so one of the one of the ways they do that it's been said is that they give them just real currency they don't study the counterfeit they study the real deal and they know the real deal so well that when a counterfeit comes in they automatically know it now what's happened though in our in our market though is we have changed the way we do currency and so now they shine a light on it and it can tell you uh, the focus of, of what's there However, this is what I want you to get. Counterfeits still exist, but the reason that counterfeits exist is because there has to be a real deal. There's real currency, thus there's counterfeit that exists. And the reason I share that with you is, is there's a lot of people today in a lot of situations that are thinking, oh, this is Christian when it really has nothing to do with Jesus. And there is a real deal, and we as a church, I think God is wanting to push us out of a complacency that we drifted into and say, Are you the real deal? Are you really what God intended? And so we're at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 18. And um, today, this one is called the truth test. If you've not been here um, for the other assessments that we walked through in 1 John, first of all, there was the light test. Are you walking in the light? Are you confessing your sins? Are you walking in the light? Secondly, it's the walk test. Are you walking in obedience to the commands of Christ? Thirdly was the love test. Are you are you truly, are as followers of Jesus, are you loving one another, displaying that love to the world? Uh, fourthly was the growth test. I talked to you about there's children, there's young men, and there's fathers, that there's this growth that's taking place. Are you growing? Are you the same way you were when you came to Christ? And then fifthly was the world test. Do not love the world or the things of the world. We talked about uh, hedonism, humanism, consumerism. We talked about those things right there. Today is called the truth test. Okay, so for you that take notes, I always encourage you to take notes. You can write in your Bibles or in your notes of your device, and it will help you to focus. So here we go. Verse 18. First John chapter 2, I'm going to read through verse 29 and then we're going to come back and unpack it. So you just know where we're going. At the end of this message, there'll be a time of prayer today. Some of you, I just believe God's Holy Spirit will speak to you or you're walking through certain things today that you need prayer for. Before you leave this place, there's an opportunity for you to receive prayer today. And so I want you to know that. So here we go. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, I'm going to pick it up in verse 24, and I want you to note over the next, until I finish verse 29, how many times John uses a phrase either remains, remain in or continue in, or your scripture may say abide in, because this is a key thing for John going all the way back to his gospel that he wrote. So verse 24 says this, as for you, see that whatever you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His, as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just that it has taught you, remain in him so if you're counting there you're already seeing that many times he has already said remain in remain in remain in four times now he's going to say it again and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him it's interesting that he talks about the last hour If you were to do a survey of people that have any biblical literacy at all and say, what would you like to study? It seems like three quarters of the time they always say the book of Revelation, because everybody wants to know how this thing is all going to pan out. How is history going to come to a a culmination? And we like to see all of the mystical part of that. And how is it going to happen? And John here says, we are in the last hour. So what does that mean? It's kind of confusing because he wrote this 2,000 years ago, and here we are saying that we're in the last hour. What does he really mean? In fact, this is a phrase that was even used in the Old Testament, that the, the last days or the end days are going to come. And so what does that really mean? Well, it means two things. One thing it means is this. It's like the end of an era and the start of a new era. In other words, like let's say the old covenant was the sacrifices of oxen and rams and sheep and birds and this kind of thing. Well that era ended when Christ came and his ultimate sacrifice was all that was needed, and so now we are living in the new day, and this new day is going to be the last day until Christ returns. But then it also has a very clear meaning as to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return. When I read the New Testament from from Matthew all the way through Revelation I believe that everyone who received that, those writings, and those that lived them were expecting Christ to come back at any time. It's obvious when you read the Scriptures. There, there was this anticipation that Christ was going to return. In fact, the church uh, that we get the letter 1 Thessalonians, uh, get the Thessalonians letters, Paul is having to write them because they were getting confused because they were expecting Christ to return, but they have loved ones dying So what's going on? So Paul is just letting them know there was an anticipation of Christ returning at any time. And now he talks about this antichrist that is going to come Um, this, this one that is going to come. And so what is our responsibility there? You remember Jesus? He told a parable And that parable, he said, he mentioned that there was a bridegroom and a bride and there were 10 virgins and these 10 virgins had this oil and five of them ran out of oil. So they tried to borrow oil from the others and it didn't happen. So they were gone and the groom came and they got locked out and all that kind of stuff. And we're kind of scratching our heads thinking, man, I'm not really sure what that's meaning. Well, let's let me give you a little historical perspective when we think about end time stuff. The way that a Jewish family would handle a wedding was, first of all, there would be about a year betrothal. In other words, from the time there was arranged marriages, this dad said to this family, we want our daughter and your son to get together. And so they said, okay, we're going to do that. So there was a betrothal that they ended into. Very binding, but there was not official marriage. And that would last about a year. And what the groom was doing all that time is he was working on the house, he was working on on where they were going to live, all those kind of things, getting all that prepared, and then he was going to come and get the bride and take her to that place. Pretty cool picture. But here's the deal. She didn't know when he was coming. So she knows he's going to come sometime, but she didn't know when he's coming. So every day she would get up and prepare herself for the thought of the groom coming. She didn't know when, but he was going to come. And you see, that's the way it is meant to be. The bride, the church, we need to be getting ready daily because our groom, Jesus Christ, may come through at any moment. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that because I think we've gone to sleep in that area but this is what part of the picture is, and then who is this antichrist i mean this is this is kind of weird this antichrist thing, and when you get into revelation, people want to really want to build on that antichrist and they say, and and the people historically would have said, okay, was it Nero, was it Caligula? was it Claudius? Was it one of these Roman emperors that has come in there? and many people have tried to say throughout history it was other people, maybe it was Hitler, maybe it was Stalin, maybe it was uh, what's going on in North Korea? You know, w- were these the Antichrist? Now, I believe that there will ultimately be some figurehead that will, will come. But like he said, there is a spirit of Antichrist that has existed all along and it still exists today. And here's the deal about Antichrist. It's two things. One is possibly you're setting yourself up in the place of Christ. In other words, you're, you're putting yourself in that place of your own salvation, that's part of what it means. Number two, it means that you are anti to anything that's of Christ as it is. You are against that. And and uh, so that's what it would represent. This person who is going to raise up has put himself in the place of Christ or he comes against anything that's holy and godly. Let me give you an example of what that looks like in our day, okay? What is what is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ's relationship to us? It's marriage, okay? Marriage marriage wasn't meant to make you happy. Marriage was to be a holy thing which gives a picture of the love of Christ for mankind and that's demonstrated in marriage. So what has the Antichrist done? What is the spirit of Antichrist? It's marred it. It's made it look like a farce in our day. The, our culture doesn't even know what marriage is. And what has happened with that is people look at that and say, well, then then, uh, then there must not be a God if marriage doesn't even look like what he intended. See how the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist works in that area. And what John says, he says, first of all, this Antichrist, uh, spirit has come, has been with us and has come out of us. In other words, everybody sitting in a worship service today is not really following Jesus Christ. There, there are people that have, that have wandered in hearing little bits of truth only to go out and become false teachers. And that's what he said. He said, they used to be among us, but they're not among us anymore. And what they've done, basically, is they've come to lead others astray. And what's sad is this. We, in our day, we don't want to follow truth. We want to follow a feeling. Or we want to follow charisma instead of following truth. And that's what that antichrist spirit is. It's, It's against Christ. It mars the things of Christ. And what happens is, is that we, we buy into falseness there. And, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, what does that look like in our day? Because people say, okay, is it, is it a person? Is it whatever it may be? And I was just thinking about a few things. I thought, first of all, is this. There are many cult leaders that have come up. You know, most cult leaders at one time were sitting in evangelical churches. Go back to the David Koresh's of the world that we want to, Put out there. And, uh, you know, the cult leaders that have sprung up at one time were sitting in worship services just like this. So let's look around the room and uh, see who that might be in this room. But they're cult leaders. I tell you, I tell you, an, I tell you, an antichrist, the spirit of antichrist is in our media. Our media is full of the spirit of antichrist, it, it, it takes anything that's holy and desecrates it. And it's just sucking us down. It's the spirit of Antichrist in our media. I I want to preface what I'm about to say. I don't think all of our government is the Antichrist, but I think there's a lot of things in our government that is Antichrist. It's coming against the truth. It's putting itself up in place of God. And there are more people, even in churches, that are, that are more thinking that the government is going to redeem them than Jesus. Antichrist. Here's some more uh, that I thought about. Um, I thought about the watered-down gospel that gets out there. You know, prosperity doctrine or, you know, God's the man upstairs, he's the good old boy. See, that just waters down the holiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that theology has just become an Antichrist spirit. And so we, we see this uh, today. And, we, and, and you can't tell me you don't. And it's right there. So, what are the true believers? Well, John says that the true believers are those that are anointed by the Holy One and they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord, He is King, He is Messiah that is the true ones are going to hang on to Jesus. You know, I I know we kind of joke about it and everything, but I you know, one of my deals is I say we want to make much of Jesus because we got nothing else. We got nothing else. Our goodness is is struggling. Our you know, we gather, we have good worship and that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, it, it all hinges on Jesus. And that's what John is saying. It's all about Jesus. He is the Lord. And if you're a true follower, you're going to acknowledge that and His anointing is going to be upon you. So what I want to do today is I want to give you three things that I think John lays out here. And these will be real easy for you to jot down. You'll even remember them just as we go over them. But number one is this. He is challenging the people. You need to be awake. You need to be awake because right from the beginning there he says dear children we're in the last hour i ask you this question how much do you anticipate the return of jesus and i know somebody's going through their brain and thinking am i a post-millennial am i pre-millennial am I a millennial? what am i what am I? i i'm telling you i believe like the new testament i believe that jesus can return at any time i really do and, uh, the question is, is that what kind of difference should that make in our life if we have that kind of anticipation? I would believe and say that we need the words of John today, and he is saying, church, wake up. Central, wake up. Because Christ could return. I, uh, I grew up in Waco, that many of you know, and, uh, in, in, uh, growing up there, I uh, uh, We used to sleep with our windows open, you know, what's happened, global warming. Got to have A.C. all the time now. Uh, but uh, I'd lay there at night, little kid. I grew up in church. I'd hear a lot of sermons, especially end-time things. And the one thing I always grabbed hold of is that there's going to be a trumpet blast. I mean, there's going to be a trumpet blast, man. You know, I always hung on to that as a kid. I thought, at least I got a little bit of warning because I'm going to hear the trumpet, you know, kind of thing. And I'd be laying there, and we didn't live close to a, a train track, but, but, you know, stillness of the night, you don't have as much white noise, uh, uh, today. And my window would be open, and I would hear off in the distance, man, that sound of that train whistle. And I'm thinking, man, is that getting closer? Is that getting closer? You know how, it just, sh- Young-eyed wonder, you're thinking, man, is that Jesus coming back? And it's just a matter of time for He gets over here on Jim Tom Street, and 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 I'm I'm going with Him. You know, I mean that's that's my thought uh, about that, and uh, that that was coming. And you think, what happened to the wonder? Most of us today don't even give it a thought. In fact, if Jesus shows up, He's going to mess up our plans. He's going to. We got afternoon plans, Jesus. You can't come yet. Jesus, you can't come till I have grandkids. You can't come, you know. We've lost the wonder. And I think that John is saying to the people there, you know, be awake. You know, we're living in the last days. And I believe that when we look at the spirit of the Antichrist around us that is there now, we want to walk in the truth of, of what is taking place. And so th- my question for you is this, under be awake. What, what, what would change and what should change? I really think we'd we'd be disappointed if Jesus shows up sometime. Be awake. Number two is be aware. Be aware. Um, He's telling the people, listen, there are false teachers that have come right out from us, and the spirit of Antichrist is there, and you need to be aware of it. You need to wake up and see what's going on around you. Central, you need to wake up and see what's going on around you. Are you holding on to truth? Are you walking in that truth that has been put there? And let me say this, not everything that sounds Christian is Christian, okay? I was uh, out in my front yard mowing one day a couple of years ago, and Pam was, Pam was gone out of town, and I was out there mowing, and I saw a couple of people coming down the street, and, and uh, I'll just put it, they were from a, a religious sect that I believe is cultish. And uh, I knew that they were just looking for people to talk to. And so Pam's gone, mowing the yard. It's an opportunity to talk. So I cut off the mower. And uh, so they come and, and they and they start talking. And uh, I, 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 I'm listening and I'm asking them some questions. And I want you to know something. Even though I believe it's cultish and I believe to the core, it is not Christ-following or Christ-honoring they had as much of an evangelical spill as any Baptist will go out and give. I mean, it sounded, I'm thinking, man, they've been working on their presentation. Because it sounded like you and I going out there and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I know what, at their core. And so I came back and asked them, and I kept pulling them back to it, pulling them back. And I tell you the thing they strangle on is grace. They cannot handle grace because grace means you can't earn it. And they're trying to earn it. And so, what, what I'm telling you is this: everything that sounds Christian may not be Christian. And I, I get I, every time I get the opportunity to get up and speak to you, I take it very seriously because I don't want you to think, "Oh, Mark is just giving us some information, or he's giving us inspiration, or he's giving us some kind of some kind of gimmick or something that he got the tingles and jollies about." Listen, if it's not truth from God's word, you don't need to listen to me i got nothing to share. I can't get up here with Newsweek or get up here with the Times and start telling you certain things. It's got to be the truth of God's Word. And so you've got to ask yourself, as you look at the things that are coming into your house, the things that you're putting into your mind, is this, is this something that is leading me away from Christ or is this something that is actually bringing me closer to Christ so that I'm going to love Him more? we got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware of these things. And the thing about the spirit of Antichrist, it's its very uh, devilish, it's divisive, it's deceptive. Whereas truth is going to bring you to Jesus. Truth is going to be unifying. Truth will give you light and life. Truth will give you healing. It will not destroy and the things of the uh, Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, is going to bring destruction. So be awake. We need to wake up. Number two, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what's going on around us. And number three is this. We've got to be abiding. The word that um, John uses is the word remain. And you'll, some of you will have abide in. And We go back to John 15 where John said, He, he is the vine, we are their branches. If we abide in Him, we will bear much fruit. And that's what this is all about. What does that mean to abide in? Well, it means that you're finding all of your life in that. It's just like the, the, the vine is where the life is. The branch is what the growth is out of that. Jesus Christ is the vine. He is our life. We are just clinging to him. We're just clinging to him. I've got nothing on my own. I'm just going to cling to him. And, and there's three things we need to abide in according to what John says here. Number one, in verse 24, he says, we need to abide in the word. In other words, he says, you need to remain in what you heard from the beginning. What did they hear from the beginning? What they heard from the beginning was the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is this. You ready? All mankind, there's seven billion people on this planet right now. Seven billion people and everyone that's come before has a fallen nature. We are separated from God. All of us. Even on our best day, we are separated from God because of our brokenness, because of the the sin, is what the Bible calls it, that's inside of us. We are separated from God. Jesus Christ came. It says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in our brokenness, God took the step. We couldn't do it. It wasn't like we do our best and Jesus fills in the blank here. It is we have nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. That's why he came. Many people say, well, Jesus came as a good teacher or Jesus came as a good example. Maybe, but that's not why he came. He came to be the substitute for us. That's what he did on the cross. Many people want to turn him into a good moral example and a good teacher. Let me tell you, he taught stuff that was hard. And But yet he came to give his life as a ransom. And so the gospel is this, which means good news. We're broken. Jesus is the answer. We place our faith in him. We have eternal life and we're put back in right standing with God the Father. That's the gospel. He is saying, remember. Remember what you heard from the beginning. Don't let somebody come in and start giving you a watered-down picture of who Jesus was. This is what had to happen. So first of all, remain. Abide in the Word. Secondly, he says abide in the Holy Spirit. You have this anointing. You you abide in the Holy Spirit, and I know sometimes we think, well, what does that mean? Man, I got friends that talk about what this means to be in the Spirit, and others that mean this is what they think it means. And this is what, let me say, let me just kind of give you a little little instruction from God's Word. You cannot even come to a relationship with God unless the Holy Spirit's involved. You cannot. Don't let somebody tell you you get one thing here and then you get the Holy Spirit later. Don't don't hear that. Paul said in Romans eight that we have to have the Holy Spirit to even be wooed and drawed into a relationship. If not, we're not transformed. Okay? So so the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. However, you know as well as I do that Paul had to tell the people in Ephesians five 18, don't be drunk with wine, which is to excess, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be walking and we are to be asking to be filled. We want to be filled. We want to walk in that fullness of who Christ is. And I'll be the first to tell you I leak. And in that leaking, I've got to come back and say, God, fill me. And and why sometimes he gives us those, what uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to call deluges of his, of his spirit. Most of the times it's the mist, but sometimes he gives us deluges. That's in God's hands. I don't know. I pray for that. I really do. Don't you? you, Have you ever just prayed, God, just just fall all over us? Usually it's the mist, but sometimes he comes in those delusions. But we we have his Holy Spirit, and we are to remain in him and let him live his life through us, and that's what we're called to do. So that he says to abide in the Spirit. And thirdly, he says this, abide in the Son. And, and it says down there in verse 28, he says, Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Here's the deal, folks. You ready for this? Fact, not trivia. Jesus is returning. One day, seven billion people on this planet, all of us are going to stand before him. Every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Everybody. And so what John is saying is you abide in that gospel that you heard. You let his spirit and in, in you abide in that spirit and you abide in the son because all of your life is wrapped up in the son of God. It's at points like this where somebody can say, well, Mark, I just don't think I agree with you. You want to base your soul on what you feel instead of what the truth is. Are you abiding in him? I mean, it's difficult. I'm not up here to say this is the easy part. This is the hard part. Because this world, see, John's already said, do not love this world. Hey, I'll be the first to say this world is very stinking attractive at times. And when I get down and I get frustrated, I just want to embrace it because I want to escape from everything. Just like you do. Don't, don't be thinking, Oh well, Mark, you're kind of odd. No, that's the truth. And you want to do the same thing. And yet, life doesn't come from chasing the world. It comes from abiding in Him alone. Let me get you a picture and then I'm wrapping this up. Um, family's coming over. You mil- you make a casserole. You know, one of those good cheesy meat noodle. Tons of butter. Casserole. Enough for everybody. You get your Pyrex dish out, right? and you put it all in there, and then you put it in the oven, and you cook, you cook it, and all the family's there, and you put it out, everybody's eating, and eating, and eating, and it's so good, and then, then after you eat, everybody kind of lounges around, and you talk with the family, and then finally, it's time for the family to leave, and they all leave, and you go in there to your Pyrex dish, and it looks like, golly, that stuff all stuck on it, and it's, it's not going anywhere and it's just you're thinking oh man how are we going to clean this thing now there there are two ways to clean it cuz you know the dishwasher ain't going to fix it you stick in the dishwasher you're still going to have to do something with it cuz it's just stuck all there there're two things you can do one thing is you can take that pyrex and you take your scrubby thing and you take the spatula and everything you can to get it all out of there and you can you can try to do everything that you can and uh and and it just you know it's still man it just takes way so much work and and um uh, number two way of dealing with it is you take that pyrex you take your your uh palm olive or whatever you got squirt it in there put water in there and you just let it soak now still i'm not i'm not saying that you're not going to have to come back sometime and do some wiping but you know as well as i do that that detergent is going to do its job, and it's going to start to slick it up, and it's going to start to get get rid of it. Now, imagine your life is like that Pyrex with all that casserole in it. Religion tells you to scrape it. Scrape it. Do everything you can in your power to get it clean do everything. And some of us are really loving to do that. Oh God, I'm going to get good for you. I'm going to, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to clean it up for you. God, this is what I'm going to do. And we're scraping and scraping and scraping. And we look at it. And we're getting nowhere. Abiding in Christ means that we're letting him soak and do his work. Some of us takes a little longer. I've seen some people it takes, you know, a lifetime to deal with certain things in their life. But as we abide and, and soak in him, we see that he slowly takes care of us. Sometimes he does it quickly. So here's the deal today. Are you awake or you need to be prodded? Does it disappoint you that Jesus may come back today? Or does it make you think, you know, I've got some relationships I need to deal with. I've got some things I, I, I need to deal with. Get awake. Number two, are you aware of your surroundings? Are you aware of the worldviews that are being thrown your way all the time? And then number three, how are you abiding? Are you abiding in Christ? I, I, I want to say one last thing and then we're going to pray. There may be somebody here today and you're thinking, Mark, I've always thought that if Jesus Christ were to return, man, I just wouldn't be ready. I just know I wouldn't. I've never taken any kind of faith step. I know what you said about the gospel. I'm broken. I've got the broken part down. But can I really trust Jesus with my life? I'm telling you, he's the only thing you can trust with your life. The only thing. And you may be here today and say, Mark, I want to believe that it's true. Let me tell you, it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. I can take you to people after people that can tell you their story, how that they were headed towards a Christless hell, and God redeemed them. And He wants to do the same to you. And you may be here, and you're thinking, "Well, oh, Mark, man, I've even been teaching Sunday school here, or I've been, I've been working in our preschool, I've been working in our children's ministry, or youth ministry." And, and man, what are people going to think? You know what they're going to think? They're going to think, "Hmm, about time. About time." And then they're going to say, "Yeah, God, where to go?" Go. All right, bow your heads with me. Lord, we need you so bad.